Hey, this is Dr. Patty Sadala. Welcome to my Experience Jesus podcast. This episode is part of a three-part series that was inspired by questions posed to me by a sincere skeptic who is wrestling with what he describes as three major conundrums about God and Christianity. The three topics addressed by these three episodes are the apparent hiddenness of God. Is God really there? The problem of pain and evil. Why would a good God allow so much pain and suffering? And the vast over-engineering of the universe. Why would God create all of this just for us? Make sure you check out all three of these episodes and share them with your favorite skeptics. In this episode, we will address the skeptic conundrum of why does God allow pain, suffering, and evil? Let's begin with the original question from our skeptic, John. He says, the problem of pain and evil. Why would a good, benevolent God set up a world to be this way? At the end of the day, the world makes a lot more sense if there's no God. That explains the endless, random cruelty and all the suffering. Or if there is a God, it is easier, far easier to make the case that he is sadistic and cruel than that he would be good and benevolent. He must really enjoy seeing people suffer in agony because it's all around us. First of all, where your starting assumptions begin is where it will lead you to your ending conclusions. So let's look at some of the starting assumptions that we will address in this episode from the statement. The assumptions are that God set up the world with pain and evil, that God is somehow the source of the pain and suffering and enjoys it, and therefore God must be unloving or not powerful if he allows pain and suffering. Because if God was real, he would have taken care of all of this by now. Okay, let's jump into the head of another skeptic and try to follow the logical train that leads to this kind of conclusion and figure out where this train goes off the tracks. Greek philosopher Epicurus, who lived from 342 to 240 BC, came up with this logic tree. If God exists, then God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and morally perfect. If God is all-powerful, then he has the power to eliminate all evil. If God is all-knowing, then he knows that evil exists. If God is morally perfect, then he desires to eliminate all evil. Evil exists. If evil exists and God exists, then either God does not have the power to eliminate all evil or doesn't know when evil exists or doesn't have the desire to eliminate evil. Therefore, God does not exist. Epicurus identified some of God's omnitruths, including his omnipotent nature, all-powerful, his omniscient nature, all-knowing, and his morally perfect nature, omnibenevolent. But he missed one important omnitruth. God is omnipresent. That means that he is, was, and always will be God. This has him living outside timelessness so that he can perfectly calculate the time to execute his plan to eradicate evil. God is morally perfect, and he has the power 
and desire to eliminate evil. He even shows us his plan to do so in the book of Revelation. So, God must have a good reason for not eliminating evil yet. The assumption that he has the ability and the will to eliminate evil, and the understanding that if those things were true, then he should do it now, or should have done it already, would lead to many missing the opportunity to know him eternally. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord does not delay as though he were unable to act and is slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is extraordinarily patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. The logic train goes off the track when you fail to factor God's will and timing of the execution of his will. God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and morally perfect. God does have the power to eliminate evil. God does know evil exists. And God not only has the desire to eliminate evil, but has the plan to do so. The book of Revelation lays that plan out, Revelation 20.10, and the devil who had deceived them was hurled into the lake of fire and burning brimstone, where the beast and antichrist and false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. God will take care of pain, suffering, and evil, and that is an irrefutable promise. However, now is not the timing to do so. There must be a reason that the timing is not now. His reason is to draw more people to him so that he can spend eternity with them and you. Did God set the world up with pain, evil, and suffering like our skeptic assumes? Let's go back to the beginning of the story and find the true origin of evil. Did God create evil? Genesis 1.31 says, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And he validated it completely. And there was an evening, and there was a morning, a sixth day. We see here that there was no evil at the beginning of creation. God created everything to be very good and validated it completely. So evil was not designed into creation. What went wrong? When God created man and angels, he created both of them with free will. That is the power of contrary choice. This means that they had the power to make a choice contrary to their own created nature. God made them in his image. Even God does not have the power of contrary choice because he cannot sin or go against his perfect holy nature. 1 John 1.5 This is the message of God's promised revelation which we have heard from him and now announce to you, that God is light. He is holy. His message is truthful. He is perfect in righteousness. And in him there is no darkness, no sin at all, no wickedness, no imperfection. Yet God made mankind with his nature and gave them the power of contrary choice. Genesis 1, 26 and 28 says, Then God said, Let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make man in our image 
according to our likeness, not physical, but a spiritual personality and moral likeness, and let them have complete authority over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and the cattle over the entire earth, and over everything that creeps and crawls on the earth. And God blessed them, granting them certain authority, and says to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subjugate it, putting it under your power and rule and dominion of the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and every living thing that moves upon the earth. God is righteous, and he created Adam and Eve in his image as righteous people. That means always right, fair, and just. Any choice that is not righteous goes outside of this perfection and becomes selfish and moves you away from the protection and guidance of God. The reason God created us with the power of contrary choice or free will is because he wanted people to choose him willingly. He chose you by virtue of you even being born. Every person born was chosen by God. All people were created with the ability to choose the Lord because he is not willing for any to perish. Matthew 18:14 God does not control people in the world like a puppet master. He allows you to choose him and his ways or choose not to. Any choice that goes against God's righteousness leads to selfishness which will have consequences of pain, suffering and evil. Adam and Eve were created with only the possibility of choosing evil. But because Adam and Eve were given dominion over other creatures, after they chose evil, there was a curse put on the entire world. People, animals, plants, and actually change our nature to be a sin nature rather than a righteous nature. This is what introduced death and sin into the world. Because of this curse, we and all creation have been born into that sin nature. Romans 8, 20-23 says, For the creation was subjected to the frustration and futility, not willingly, because of some intentional fault on its part, but by the will of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would also be freed from its bondage to decay and gain entrance into the glorious freedom of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been moaning together as in childbirth pains until now. God is good, and evil is the absence of good. You cannot know evil without good. Augustine said, Good is fundamental and can exist in itself. Evil cannot exist in itself. Evil is always a parasite on good. For example, the very idea of a wound presupposes a body that is healthy. Blindness is the absence of someone being able to see. God is righteous and evil is unrighteous. Therefore, God did not create evil or design the world to be this way. He is unable to be unrighteous because he cannot deny his nature and character. But we can because of the power of the free will contrary choice. Adam and Eve started off righteous, and their choice brought a curse on everything that came after them. 
We are born into a sin nature and must choose God to regain our righteousness. Our natural tendency is towards sin, and the Word says that no one born after Adam is without sin. The only person who lived a completely sin-free life was Jesus, and even he was born with the tendency to sin. He was only able to live a sinless life because of his choices. He made the choice not only to lay aside his deity when he came down on earth to be a person, but to a daily choice of surrendering his own personal will to the will of the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. John 5.19 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing on his own, of his own initiative, but only what he sees and hears the Father doing. What he sees and hears the Father doing, the Son does also in his turn. Jesus' preferred name was Son of Man, to show that he too understood the challenges of living as a man born into a cursed world with the natural tendency to sin. He showed us the way to live contrary to that tendency by choosing righteousness. When Jesus died and then rose again, he provided for us the ability to do that too. His blood sacrifice paid the penalty for the curse for us. He not only died for you, he died as you, covering those who accept him in salvation with his perfection. And then he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in the hearts of all believers to empower each of us as overcomers of this sin nature. When we choose Jesus, we no longer have to obey the sin nature within us. We have the power with the Holy Spirit to choose righteousness and align ourselves with his plans that lead to faith, hope, and love. To summarize, Adam and Eve were created with the ability not to sin. After the fall, based on their choice, humans had no ability to not sin. Jesus' sacrifice restored our ability not to sin. And those that choose Jesus will live eternally where there will be no sin. The entire Bible was given to us so that we can follow God's direction to live out his plans, whose end goal is to eradicate all evil and bring as many people as possible back to him for a perfect eternal life. Isaiah forecasts this, referencing to the new heaven in the end of times. Isaiah 65.25 says, The wolf and the lamb will graze together, and the lion will eat straw like an ox. There will no longer be predator and prey, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will do no evil or harm in all of my holy mountain of Zion, says the Lord. Dr. Randy Alcorn, in his book, If God is Good, Faith in the Midst of Suffering and Evil, said, God has never given up on his creation, yet somehow we've managed to overlook the entire biblical vocabulary that makes this point clear. Redeem, restore, recover, return, renew, resist, resurrect. Each of these biblical words begin with the R-E prefix, suggesting a return to an original condition that was ruined or lost. 
God always sees us in the light of what he's intended us to be, and he always seeks to restore us to that design. Likewise, he sees the earth in terms of what he intended it to be and seeks to restore that original plan. Let's talk for a bit now about pain and suffering. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Problem of Pain, argued that people must have lost the sense of their seriousness of God. When God needs your attention, he can use suffering as a reminder of this horror. Our world is not good. Rather, we live in a world cursed as judgment on sin. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. There is always a lesson to learn in every challenge, pain, or tragedy. The Lord promises to meet you in that place. At the time of this podcast production, it's only a couple weeks after Bill Johnson, leader of Bethel Reading Church, buried his beloved wife, Benny. A few days after burying her, he did a sermon entitled, Breaking the Bread of My Soul where he taught about mourning. I will include the link to his sermon below on the pattyej.podbean.com site for this episode. In that sermon, Johnson shared that mourning losses is biblical and that there are two ways people can mourn. One takes you directly into the arms of the comforter, leading you directly into God's presence where you can find the peace that surpasses understanding. He said of what he was learning through the loss of his wife was that there were depths of God's presence that can only be known in the valley of the shadow of death. The presence of God allows you to experience things that you cannot understand until you need to understand them. I remember learning something at a wake for a 12-year-old boy who died suddenly of a heart attack while in a swimming pool. Only weeks before, he had earned the Outstanding Christian Character Award at this Christian school where my girls were attending. This young man loved the Lord so much, it was hard to understand why God would take him at such a young age. He could have done so much more if God had allowed him to live, one would imagine. I walked into that wake and was overwhelmed by the scene of his mother comforting his best friend in the pews. I remember thinking, how on earth could she have the ability to do that when she must have so much pain? How could there be an overflow in her heart to give something to someone else at this time with so much grief? I couldn't imagine it, but I never forgot it. The parents of that young boy drew closer to God rather than farther away by their experience They created a ministry in his name where they comforted other people who had lost their children to death. They created a scholarship in his name to empower more people to learn about how to reflect God's love the way he did as a child. Even though his life was short, he's still earning crowns in heaven for the way he used his life to reflect God and for now how his parents grieved in a way that brought them closer to God. The first question on your heart when something tragic happens is why? The answer to your why question cannot give you peace or take away your pain. Only God can do that. You can only be comforted by God's presence. Peace is part of the fruit of the Spirit, which is God's nature and character. 
You cannot have peace apart from God. It is a kingdom emotion, not a worldly one. It is when God gives you his eternal perspective and blankets you with his love. This leads to hope. The other kind of mourning has you fixing your eyes on the loss. What you fix your eyes on grows within you. The more you look at your loss, the more it grows, and this kind of mourning leads to unbelief, anger, frustration, pain, and even sickness. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says, Now we do not want you to be uninformed believers about those who are in sleep, in death, so that you will not grieve for them as one who has no hope beyond this present life. This kind of mourning leads to hopelessness, anger, and frustration. We bought our house from a person who was experiencing this type of mourning. It had been six months since her mother suddenly passed away, and her siblings were wanting for her to sell the house so that they could settle her estate. Every day she came into the house, smelled her mother's clothing, and weeped all day long. Her husband knew that it was making her more and more depressed, it was taking her down, and that the time was ripe for them to sell the house. Even after we bought the house, we didn't need to move into it right away because we hadn't sold our other house yet, and it took her five days to release the keys to that house because she still could not let go of her mom and her death, and she was just grieving without hope, and it was just causing such pain in her. You will never be taken over by a situation if you have godly hope. Worldly hope is a wish. Godly hope is biblical joy of anticipation for good. Gaining God's perspective on your losses brings you a greater consciousness about eternity and takes away the sting of death. John 12, 24 says, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies and remains alone, just one grain and never more. But if it does die, it produces much more grain and yields a harvest. Understanding that this world is not the only world. In fact, it is a precursor to a much richer eternal life. Requires you to surrender your understanding of the limitations of this world in favor of the biblical truths of eternal life. The longest of earthly lives is no more than a grain of sand compared to all the sand of the entire world when you think about this life related to eternity. Godly mourning can till the soil of your heart so that hope can grow into a fruit-bearing plant. Even the tragic loss of a loved one or a serious illness can be a seed that brings increase into your life if you allow it to. I would never want to wish Lyme's disease on anyone, but God used that disease to draw me closer to him. He healed me miraculously, and he absolutely used it as a catapulting faith builder, intertwining it with my calling and destiny. I have included that entire story in another podcast And we'll link that one below if you're curious. Let's look at some important factors that are at play that can affect your level of pain and suffering. I wanted to take a few minutes to address the role that you can play in your own suffering. 
But before that, I do want to share the caveat that not all suffering is about your decisions or your choices. All you have to do is read the book of Job to see that. Job was a righteous man, and he never actually got the answer to his questions this side of heaven about why he was given so much pain and suffering, although he did get the answer to his question about whether God was able to speak to him directly. We understand from the reading of the book of Job that he was meant to show us that God does allow suffering and that it can be turned around for good and blessings can be restored. When God restores blessings, he restores them multiplied. And for those who choose God, there are many crown rewards in heaven that more than pay you back for any suffering that you endured here on earth. There is another episode about that below as well to understand what the crowns are and how they're earned. Satan and all demons were actually angels that used their free contrary choice to go away from God. Remember, God is righteous and anything that's not in line with him is unrighteous or evil. Satan and all the demons were created by God and are still under his authority. This means they can only go so far to menace with you. If you choose not to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, you forfeit his guidance and protection and power that you would have received by receiving the indwelling Holy Spirit. This decision gives the enemy a legitimate authority to influence and hurt you. When you participate in any sort of sin, you give the enemy a legitimate contract to mess with you as well, whether you're saved or not. And when you don't know your Bible enough to know the authority that you have in Christ and the authority that you have to defeat the enemy, then he will let you think he's more powerful than God and he will continue to torment you. He will whisper lies in your spirit to make sure you feel justified in any sinful decision that you may make, whispering things into your ear that make you angry, victimize, helpless, or lead to unforgiveness. You must be able to recognize this voice and not agree with it. Remember, too, that the power to overcome these temptations come from the Holy Spirit, so you must first accept Jesus Christ to even have the capability to overcome them. Let's talk about the principle of agreement for a moment. This is a spiritual law, much like gravity is a physical law. Gravity does not need you to believe in it or to understand it to be true. It just is true. It is a true physical law. And if you don't believe in gravity and stepped off a cliff, you would still immediately learn the truth of it. The law of agreement is similar. Whether you realize it or not, you're always agreeing with something. Your behavior reveals those things for which your heart is agreeing with. And your agreements have a cause and effect. The Lord gives much advice about this in the Word. Romans 12.2 says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, pseudo-intellectual babble, according to the tradition and musings of mere men, following the elementary principles of this world, rather than following the truth and teachings of Christ. Agreements with anything that is not from God opens the door and the enemy can threaten you. These agreements give the enemy a legitimate contract to mess with you. 
and these contracts are in place only while you agree with them. So first identifying that they are lies, confessing and repenting those thoughts and limiting destructive behaviors is the step that needs to happen for you to break the contract with the enemy. And when you command an enemy to leave after a contract is broken, he must leave you because there is no longer authority for him to hurt you. For more on how this works, check out the episode link below on how to exercise your authority in Christ for miraculous outcomes. You must guard your heart. Let's talk for a moment now about the power of what you witness and your testimony. That is what you see and what you say. I and ear witnesses are anyone who has seen and heard the truth. The one key witness that you may not realize you have is the omnipresent Lord. He has seen and heard everything you have ever done and said and was present for every interaction you've ever had. He is also omniscient, which means he knows everything. You are also a witness and testify for or against yourself by your own words and behaviors. It is important for you to know the truth so that he can set you free. The truth is a person to know, not a thing to know. Not agreeing that you have played in any role in certain challenging issues and relationships in your life can keep you in bondage. Victimization is an effective strategy of the enemy. Keeping your eyes on your offenses and offenders keeps them off God and limits your own awareness of what you may need to confess and repent of to heal relationships. The enemy testifies against you when you have given him a legitimate contract by your sin and when your words don't agree with God. Ephesians 4 gives a long list of things that we do to agree with the enemy and therefore gives him permission to create contracts against you. They include such things as believing the lies of the enemy, allowing darkness to overtake you, agreeing with sin and not being repentant of it. Those kinds of things open the doors to get you in trouble. The latter verses of Ephesians 4 show you all the choices that you can make to agree with God and not fall into these sinful patterns or tendencies. When you choose to fix your eyes on the limitations of the world, the lies of the enemy, or on sin, you willingly walk outside of the protective umbrella of God. Most pulpits do not teach this truth. The real enemy is not in this world. The enemy counts on you not knowing that so he can, as legally as possible, get away with menacing with you. Know your real opponent and know how to fight the battle. Ephesians six twelve says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, contending only with physical components, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the forces of this present darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly supernatural places. And when you know how to fight these battles, the enemy will become afraid of you and will not mess with you because they will begin to see Jesus on you and they are terrified of him. For more on this topic, check out the podcast episode on understanding God's justice linked below in the pattyej.podbean.com site. I asked Jesus to share his perspective on this topic of why does God allow pain, suffering, and evil? And he said, I never promised that this life would be a smooth road or easy and pain-free. In fact, 
I promised that this life would be challenging. John 16.33 says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace. In the world you will have tribulation and distress and suffering, but be courageous, be confident, be undaunted, be filled with joy. I have overcome the world. My conquest is accomplished, my victory abiding. He continued, in fact, an unchallenged life is an unblessed life. Because without pain and suffering, you would never drop to your knees and seek me. I do promise that I will be there for you. I will never leave or forsake you. I am findable, knowable, and fully capable of meeting every need you have, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. I died to gain you direct access to the Father, to restore what was lost by Adam and Eve's curse. I gained victory over sin and the grave, And I sent the Holy Spirit as your ever-present guide to lead you to a life of great signs, wonders, and miracles, an eternal life that begins the moment you accept me as your Savior and extends forever. You must choose these blessings to receive them. All people are imperfect. Do not look at my followers as the standard of Christianity. Look to me. The enemy wants you to believe that I'm distant, powerless, uncaring, and cruel. But that's not who I really am. Seek me and you will find me, and then you will know for yourself who I am. Ask me about your heartbreaks, sickness, and pain. I allow you direct access to me to give you my perspective on all circumstances and to heal your heartbreak and your body. True spirit-led believers are my hands and feet. I work through them to alleviate pain and suffering. Have you ever seen an atheist create a soup kitchen for the homeless? No. It's everyday folks reflecting my love who do those things. I can't do it for you without your partnering and agreeing with me. Then I heard the song by Matthew West and My Spirit called Do Something. The lyric video to that will be linked below in this episode on the pattyej.podbean.com site. But I wanted to read to you some of the lyrics. It says... I woke up this morning, saw a world full of trouble now. I thought, how'd we ever get so far down, and how's this ever going to turn around? So I turned my eyes to heaven, and I thought, God, why don't you do something? Well, I just couldn't bear the thought of people living in poverty, children sold into slavery. The thought of it disgusted me. So I shook my fist at heaven and said, God, why don't you do something? And he said, I did. Yeah. I created you. Now listen, if not us, then who? If not me and you, right now, well, it's time for us to do something. If not now, then when? Will we see an end to all this pain? It's not enough to do nothing. It's time for us to do something. I'm tired of talking about how we are God's hand and feet, but it's easier to say than to be. Live like angels of apathy, who tell ourselves it's all right. Somebody else will do something. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm sick and tired of a life with no desire. I don't want a flame. I want a fire. I want to be the one who stands up and says, I'm going to do something. We are the salt of the earth. We are the city on a hill. Shine, 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 shine. We're never going to change the world by standing still. No, we don't stand still. We won't stand still. We won't stand still. No. If not us, then who? If not me and you, right now? It's time for us to do something. If not now, then when will we see an end to all this pain? It's not enough for us to do nothing. It's time for us to do something. 
it's time for us to do something. If you have never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and your heart is prompted to do that now, or if you are already saved, but you have fallen away and want to rededicate your life at this time in your own way, just simply say, Lord, I want you in my life. I give my heart to you. Please come in, bring the Holy Spirit, and show me the way to how to live the life that you have created for me before the foundations of the earth were laid. I surrender to you, and I welcome you now to become my Lord and Savior. Thank you for what you accomplished for me on the cross, and I praise you and honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have prayed that prayer with a sincere heart, welcome to the family of God, and God bless your journey. Okay, what we're going to do in our Encountering Jesus time, I'm going to share with you, or facilitate with you rather, the special place encounter again. I just, I did that in the last episode as well. But I want you to know that you do not need me to facilitate it for you to be able to see Jesus in your special place. You can go and do that at any time. And to remind you to check out our trailer and other episodes about how and why this is all working. But what we're going to do is ask God a question, and I will have a different question for you. So I'm just going to ask you to prepare your heart by getting in a comfortable place, and then we're going to facilitate it from there. Okay, so I want you to take a couple deep breaths. Make sure you're in a comfortable place, no one to disturb you. And take a a few moments. If there's anything distracting on your mind, pick a piece of paper, write down those things, and your mind will let them go. We're going to begin after we take a few breaths. Breathing in. And now relaxing your body. I want you to see yourself as a child. Look at your hands and your feet. You're between the ages of four and eight years old. Pay attention to what you're wearing. And just feel what it feels like to be a kid again, just for a second. All right, now the next thing you see is an elevator. And we're going to be paying attention to every sense, what we see and hear and feel and think. I want you to push the elevator button. The doors open. And you walk inside the elevator. There's only one button on the elevator. It's really big and it just says Jesus. You push the Jesus button doors close and now you feel the movement of the elevator moving you you've got some excitement about it when the doors open they open to a beautiful beautiful place i want you to step out of the elevator and start to explore this place i want you to look using all of your senses, sensing things on your skin, smells, sounds, colors, 
Look to the left. Take everything in. Then look to the right. All that you see and hear and feel. Look up. Look down. And then when you turn around, you see Jesus walking toward you with a big smile on his face. He's so happy you're there. He's so excited to see you. He picks up your little body and he swings you around. And you're just delighted. He gives you a kiss on the forehead. And then he puts you down. And together you begin to explore your place. Jesus is going to play with you for a little while. And then he's going to bless you with a gift. What is he giving you today? And then I want you to ask him to help you understand something you've always struggled with to believe him about. Perhaps it was a tragic circumstance or a disappointment or a wounding of some type. And allow God to show you his perspective in any way that he wants to be able to show you the truth of that circumstance and his love in that situation. Take all the time you need and record it all in your journal. Pause the tape if you need. Come back for the rest when you're done. Well, I hope you learned today that God is all-powerful, all-loving, ever-present, and all-knowing. And I hope you learned that he was not the source of evil, nor did he create the world to be evil. That this world is temporary, and that you can choose the right kind of mourning when things get dark, and that God is the light that brings you hope and has given you the opportunity to have direct access to the Father, and that he does have a plan to eradicate all pain, suffering, and evil at the end of days, and he's just being patient for enough people to come to know him and accept him. Remember that at any time, you can go back to the special place, see Jesus there, and ask him any question that you ever need to. You do not need for me to prompt you to do this. You can just do this. And that just relaxing and being quiet in his presence welcomes him. And I hope you will join us on this podcast adventure. Follow this podcast and forward it to others that you think may be blessed by it. And check out all the links below. They are designed to take you deeper. I thank God for you and bless you in Jesus' name.